Matthew 26. And I'm going to read, I'm starting in verse 31, and then I'm going to skip to a couple of different spots just to, to pick up the applicable parts of the story that uh, we're going to deal with this morning. So starting in Matthew 26, verse 31. It says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. If you want to jump to, I'm just going to read verse 51. It says, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. And we'll go to the Gospel of John. You'd see that that was Peter that did that. And we'll go to verse 69 and read the, the last portion of the chapter here. Verse 69 says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also was with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and said unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let us pray as we, before we continue. Again, Lord, as we turn to your word, we're glad for it and glad for the, the stories of imperfect people, such as Peter and the things that he experienced, what he did. Lord, I ask that you would help us to, to learn this morning from his example, um, so that we have to ask your blessing on our, our time and for your wisdom and strength this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see at this Last Supper, Jesus makes a statement to Peter that you are going to deny me. And Peter swears up and down, there's no absolutely no way I will never deny you. I'm going to, I'd go to the death with you. And it looks like when we got to verse 51, he was still had that in his heart at that moment as he starts swinging his sword and ready to die. But it didn't take long when Jesus is being tried, sort of, <laughs> this mock trial. And the crowds gathered around. And we no longer have the support. <laughs> we no longer have the crowd that's praising Jesus, but only a crowd that's persecuting and condemning him. And Peter is standing, I, 
I don't have a good picture in my mind of exactly what the, the, the area looked like. But I remember one of the Gospels mentions that Jesus looked at Peter at this point. So they're right there, right? Seeing everything that's going on. And as Peter's getting recognized, he denies it. And does exactly what Jesus said he was going to do. And exactly the opposite of what he said he was going to do. I forgot to look up what the verse was. I I opened last week with a verse that talked about the purpose of the scriptures is for our learning. And we see all these Old Testament, I mentioned, we see these stories through the Old Testament of just everyday people being used by God. And this should be an encouragement to us that, hey, if God can use that person with all their failures, then God could possibly use me too. And that's really what I want to look at this morning with Peter is that Peter is a wonderful example of a just a regular guy with outbursts of emotion. He just says what's on his mind. Some of you say what's on your mind sometimes, and it takes people <laughs> by surprise or off guard sometimes. But it's just the truth comes out of his mouth of what he thinks at that moment, and that's a good thing. But then Scripture is such a wonderful thing in that it reveals to us the faults. It shows us where Peter failed. And that's an encouragement to us. Because we fail daily, weekly. I was talking this week. There's times I don't feel qualified to be the person standing here preaching because more often than not, I'm preaching to myself, telling myself what I need to fix in my life based on what is written in the scripture. But then I can look at Peter and the failures that he had, this pure denial of even knowing Jesus complete ashamed of having anything to do with him at this moment. And then what God did with Peter after that is incredible. And I want to follow through and look at a little bit of Peter as we go through the rest of the scripture and see what God did with him. I'm not one for alliteration, but I managed to come up with a couple of, just by accident mostly, was here we see Peter and his denial would be the first step. We're going to go over to John chapter 21. John 21, I'm going to start in verse 3, just to pick up with Peter again. It says, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. 
And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast it out on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw for it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. We're going to continue reading in this chapter in a second, but I just want to look at Peter. This is after the crucifixion. This is after Jesus has shown himself to the disciples more than once, and after his resurrection. And what happens? Is that Peter's feeling defeated. He's he's full of despair over these events. Jesus didn't accomplish what Peter thought he was going to accomplish. And so he senses this defeat. He's like, I'm going fishing. (laughs) It's what he knows. He's going back to the life that he knew before Jesus entered his life. And he's going to go back fishing. And that last portion is kind of interesting. I think it speaks to us of the extent of the despair that Peter feels over all of this. Because when, I don't know where Peter is during this conversation. Jesus is standing on shore. I'm not a fisherman, but I'm, I'm pretty certain in, in my occupation, when something's not working and I know how to do my job, and some guy walking by the front of my shop yells in, try it this way. Do you know what you feel like as a professional and some guy on the street tells you how to do your job? You just want to tell him to shut up and go mind his own business. And then if you try the thing and it works, it's like, oh. <laughs> but I think that's what this is happening here. It's like, who's this guy on shore telling us how to fish? Like, we've been fishing our whole lives. I know what side of the boat to cast my net on. <laughs> but they did it. Why would they do it? They don't recognize who Jesus is, but they did it anyway. I've tried things as a mechanic that unwitting customers have suggested trying, and, and, and it's worked. Sometimes people just have ideas that work, even in their lack of knowledge overall of the thing. But I don't know where Peter is during this conversation, because John is there, John's on the boat, and as soon as they cast the net in, and it fills full of fish, after a night of catching nothing he realizes that that person that just told him that is Jesus. And much to what Judith mentioned earlier about who Jesus is, John, he didn't say this is Jesus. He said it's the Lord. 
This is the Lord. As in, Jesus is the Lord. He is God. And so John says to Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter, wherever he was during the rest of this conversation, finally realizes what's going on. And it's like, he throws his coat around him because he's naked. Like, I don't know how naked he is here. <laughs> Maybe he just didn't have a shirt on. I don't know. Maybe he's naked. <laughs> but he feels shame for whatever level of nakedness he's at and a need to cover himself. And then he casts himself into the sea. Um, I'm not sure the purpose of the casting into the sea because... The, the story continues, like, they're close to shore, and the others ones get into a small boat, and they, they paddle to shore. And Peter is on shore also with them at, when they get there, so I don't know if, like, he just decided to swim there because he wants to be close to Christ, or if that was part of his shame of just, like, casting himself in. But, but I just see the despair in Peter over Christ being crucified, and he's gone back to what he knows. He's just given up on this whole ministry thing. He's going to go back fishing. And he's naked on the boat, to whatever extent that is. But it's like a complete reversal of life, right? That despair. And the thing is, is us in our lives, we get to a point sometimes in despair, people, people, various now evangelistic churches, so so called, invite people to try Christ, try Christianity. If you're trying Christianity, hoping for it to change your life physically for the better, chances are it's not going to work for you. And so people who come to it with that kind of expectation that God is going to do some wonderful things in my life and fix all of my relationships and all of my financial problems and all of my health issues and everything is going to improve if I come to this Jesus, you may be filled with despair when the opposite happens. And we can relate to Peter. Sometimes, even as a, a Christian, and just... We just have hopes that God is going to do certain things in our lives and family members get sick and or die. Things happen. Disasters in our lives happen. And we can think that, why did God let that happen in my life? Why is God allowing this? And we can get filled with despair. It's like, just give up on God in those circumstances whatever that is. And I'm sure we've all had some experience with that feeling of God's not coming through. God's not doing what I thought he would do. And I'm just going to give up. And that's what I see with Peter is just, it's just giving up. But we're going to continue the story. I'm going to pick up in verse 15 and just read a couple more verses. John 21, verse 15 says, So when they had dined, 
Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yes, or yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my lambs. And he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. You know what Jesus overlooked? The despair that Peter felt that he had given up. He looked past his denial during his trial. And he sits down to eat with him. And says, do you love me? He's like, yeah. (laughs) Then feed my sheep. He's giving him a job. He's giving him direction in his life. And that's what he's been lacking since all these events took place. He had no direction. He didn't know what to do or where to go. And Jesus is going to give him that direction. He has a directive, so to speak, of go and teach some people. Go feed the people that need to learn of all of these events of what I just went through and who I am. And so now Peter gets this direction. And if we just should just be a page or two in your Bible, Acts chapter 2. And I'll skim through the chapter rather than reading the whole thing. But Acts chapter 2, we see in, starting verse 14, says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my word. So Peter begins to speak. Go to verse... 37, instead of reading all of what Peter said, we'll just skip toward the end here. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, what Peter had said to say, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. God changed Peter's life. God used Peter in a way that most pastors, most evangelists, most people today could only dream of reaching the number of people that Peter reached. Having the number of souls saved that Peter brought through his preaching. So Peter goes from 
denying even knowing who Christ is, to being completely defeated, filled with despair, to getting some direction from Christ. And now, he's being used in a mighty way by God. God doesn't disqualify us based on one error, one fault, one moment of weakness when we didn't know what to do and we were scared or discouraged and we turn away from God for a moment in our lives. It didn't disqualify Peter from God using him. I think we tend to look at our past and judge ourselves on our past of the things that I've done and that how could God use someone like me? And we disqualify ourselves. When God used probably much worse people than most of us in mighty ways to preach the gospel and to reach, in this case, thousands of souls. We go over to Second Peter. So not only did Peter do some mighty preaching, he ended up writing a part of our New Testament. God used him to record Scripture. Like an eternal record <laughs> guiding us as the church. And we could look at lots of different aspects of this to see different aspects of Peter's growth in here, but I just want to look at this maybe one verse in particular. 2 Peter 3, verse 14. It says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So here's Peter, and we know who Peter is. Like, there's no secret of Peter's past life, his failures. And now he's writing to other believers and encouraging them. So seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Can I point something out? If you turn back to Galatians chapter 2. Keep in mind the exact wording of what we just read. But Galatians chapter 2. Paul is telling a story to make a point to the Galatian church. But if we start in verse 11, he says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them, which were of the circumcision. 
And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and do not as the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So, he carries on there a little bit, but we see something about Peter here. Peter isn't completely reformed yet. <laughs> right? He is not without... Remember, I, I didn't hold the spot, but it says Peter is telling people to be without spot and blameless. He uses the word to instructing us to be blameless. And yet, when Paul describes the events here, it says, when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. <laughs> Peter was not blameless in every aspect of his life. Even as a minister, as a preacher of the word, this is well after him preaching and re- thousands of people being saved from his preaching. Peter's in a circumstance where he's around Gentiles and he's doing things that Gentiles do. Living and eating the way a Gentile would eat and live. And not requiring them to adhere to the Jewish law. But when a bunch of Jews show up, he separates from those Gentiles and he starts adhering to the Jewish laws again. Trying to look like something he's not to this group of people. And Paul sees it and he calls him out on it. It's the same issue, right? As when he denied Christ. He he doesn't like being looked at poorly by other people. And so he's careful of how he acts around certain groups of people. And Paul calls him out on it. And he says, you're to be blamed. He wasn't perfect. He had faults, even as he's well into his ministry. So it's not like, when we look at our lives, and okay, I said we we sometimes look at our past, and we try to disqualify ourselves based on our past, our history. Okay, well, okay, we've come past that. It's like, okay, no, God can... I got saved and that stuff's been washed away. I've been cleansed of that. And now God's going to take me from where I am today and, and I'll go forward from there. Well, what if as a Christian, what about as a minister of the word in some way, now I fail? Does it, do I, am I now disqualified? Well, apparently not, because Peter goes and continues to be in ministry and continues and writes scripture after this point. God can still pick us up, even whatever things happen in our lives, whatever failures we have in our lives, God can still pick us up, wipe us off, and, okay, carry on. Let's do something positive and keep preaching. This is just some basic 
scriptures and things that we need to understand. In Romans chapter 5, and if you've been around much, you've heard this verse many times. Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's not waiting for us to fix our lives up, to clean ourselves up and get ourselves good enough for him to do something with. While we were sinners, in the pit and the worst part of our lives, in complete denial of who God is, that he deserved any worship whatsoever, without acknowledging our own condition of our sinful nature and our need of salvation. At that stage, when we didn't even want God, he came and died on the cross to pay for our sin. He's not waiting for us to do something to earn some worthiness of that. He did it when we absolutely didn't earn it, had no No merit of our own whatsoever. There's another verse kind of similar in Titus chapter 3. Get in practice through the New Testament here this morning. We're talking um, the pastor at Fort William Baptist just got ordained there a month or so ago and they were just talking about that and not during his ordination but during somebody's they mentioned one of the questions to the to the prospective pastor was can you quote the books of the bible <laughs> in order like should be able to but there's days where i struggle with that <laughs> but it's just one of these things I have no idea. <laughs> um, so anyway, so Titus chapter 3. Get back on track here. Titus 3, verse 3, starting there. It says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What a great passage that is. We were, we were a lot of things, weren't we? But after the kindness and love of God, not because of anything we did, but he died on that cross for us. And, and verse, which one? Um, 
Oh, five. It says, not by works of righteousness. It's not nothing we do. By his mercy, he saved us. And then, verse seven, being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We, we inherit. <laughs> we, we're adopted as sons of God, and we inherit eternal life. It's an inheritance. We're, we're made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Isn't that great? <laughs> it's no longer based on anything that I do. It's just because I put my faith in what he did, and now I get to inherit everything. <laughs> lost your spot in Romans. I'm going back to Romans chapter 8. I saw something interesting in this passage as I was reading it. I have a tendency to just quote one part of the verse here, but when I read it, it didn't say exactly what I thought it was going to say. But then I read the rest of the passage, and once again it says what I thought it was going to say. And so we're going to look at it a little bit. It says that there is, Romans chapter 8, and start in verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I, usually, I always stop there if I'm quoting that verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. As in, it doesn't matter how we fail, once we've come to Christ, put our faith in his work on the cross as payment for our sin, it doesn't matter what failure we have from that point on, there's no condemnation. I can't lose that salvation. I'm no longer going to be condemned for the failures in my life, for the sin that is in my life. And that's kind of what we've been pointing out with Peter, is that Peter failed quite miserably at times. And that didn't disqualify him. God continued to pick him up, wipe him off, and say, get going, keep, keep serving, keep preaching. I'm not done with you yet. And same with you, and same with me. God's not done with us yet, and he has something for you, and he wants you to actually get out there, stop worrying about what you've done, how you failed, but get up and move forward and keep preaching. There, there is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that sounds like a, a condition on this no condemnation, that you have to walk... Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But we'll, let's read the, the rest of the passage. It says, For the law of the spirit is life in Christ Jesus. Sorry, I should read it properly. <laughs> For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That's what I said. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, 
condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they which are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. This answered that question. Are you walking in the flesh or in the spirit? Well, it's not a question of as a believer, as a Christian, am I doing this or that? It's a are you a believer or not a believer? Because he said, verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If you put your trust in Christ as your savior, as payment for your sins, his death on the cross, your hope is in his resurrection, then you are walking in the spirit. It's not a, a this or that once, you, once you're there. It's a, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are walking in the Spirit. And so the only condition in verse 1 was, are you saved or are you not saved? If you're, if you're still trying to do it on your own, well, then you're walking in the flesh and you're never going to get there. But if you've given up on trying to do it yourself and you've trusted Christ, then what this stinking flesh does has no impact on my eternity because I have Christ in me and spiritually I'm alive I'm walking in the spirit it just happens to be this terrible thing that I'm kind of attached to in the meantime until I get rid of it right and that's like spend weeks discussing that issue but we're when you're saved, you're walking in the Spirit. You are in the Spirit, and you can't separate from that thing. It can't be done. I'm going to read. I'll just, I'll just read it, if you can listen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 7, says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, 
but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. It's not about me keeping it. It's not in us to hang on to this eternal life. If you're, if you're in it, uh, no, that was Timothy, but Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 4 both speak of us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. And 1 John 5.13 says, These things write I unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm going to turn there because it's an important. 1 John 5.13 These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That was the important part that I missed. I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know that you have eternal life. It's not a I hope so. (laughs) It's a I know because I believe in his name. And the other part of that, I love how he didn't stop at that. Because he came to that conclusion that I've written to you that believe on the name of this God, that you may know that you have life, eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. <laughs> it's like knowing that believing gives me eternal life encourages me and strengthens me to believe <laughs> all the more. That's all that's required. And it's a sure thing. We're sealed. And it's, as Timothy, it was Paul writing to Timothy, says, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. He is able. Because in, in us, we're useless, right? We fail if it was up to me keeping it, I'd, I'd never get there. But he's picking us up and says, keep going. <laughs> keep serving. Never mind the past. Never mind the failures. Just get up and move forward. Keep preaching that gospel. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would help us to see this example in Peter that he is very much like each one of us. He wasn't perfect and yet you used him in mighty ways Lord and that you can indeed use us in mighty ways as well regardless of our faults and failures in life Lord. Help us to to see past that. Help us to trust you in these things and put our complete faith in what Christ did on the cross and that we would Put those things behind and press on to those things which are before, Lord. Again, we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.